Hey, and thanks for tuning in. At Northgate, we're passionate about helping people become who God purposed them to be. We hope that this message encourages and blesses you today. Stay tuned after for more ways to connect. All right. Hi. Good morning. Uh, good to see you here today. Welcome uh, to Northgate. Welcome if you're new with us, if we haven't met. Uh, my name is Steve Perkins, one of the pastors, always outside those doors after the service. Uh, it's just so good to uh, have you here today. Good to be in the house of the Lord together. Uh, you heard in the announcements earlier uh, about happy days, and uh, it's one of my favorite things that we do as a church every year. If you haven't been at Happy Days down the street from here in Ramsey, I encourage you, uh, check it out, because Northgate, it's no exaggeration, Northgate is the life of the party down there. Um, we really make things happen for families. Everything we offer there is free, from inflatables to our kids' game tent, but as always, we need your help. Uh, my family volunteers every year. We look forward to volunteering, um, from the smallest kid in my family to the, to the tallest, and um, they love it. It's a great thing to do as a family, a great way to serve, uh, helping kids at, 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 at the game tent. And it's such a blessing to parents when they find out it's free. They're ready to, you know, give a hundred bucks away that day, you know, um, uh, you know and, and spend that on the activities and then they find out it's free and they're, they're delightful. And many people have their first contact with Northgate and many times with a church. Maybe they've never darkened the doors of a church. Um, they have their first contact with Northgate there at Happy Days. So do me a favor, uh, sign up, um, help people become who God purposed them to be by um, simply playing with kids for a couple of hours. You will be so glad you did. You'll run into people you haven't seen in years, and uh, you'll be blessed um, so thank you for doing that. Now, um, in the meantime, uh, we are continuing uh, our series on heaven. And uh, I've been a little bit anxious about this series. Maybe it's just because I haven't been uh, in the saddle for a while, but um, I talked to, got a little bit excited last week, talked too long, uh, did the same thing last night, so that's just your warning. But I, I think that's uh, understandable because, because the subject of heaven is kind of an exciting subject, uh, I think, um, especially when, when we think about it biblically. I mean, you know, we're talking about eternity, where we're going to spend eternity. And lots of us have lots of questions about eternity. I, I have answered lots of questions about eternity uh, over these past couple of weeks. And so it got some of us thinking on our staff, maybe others of you who have questions, but you haven't asked them. And so on the back of your bulletin, we'll also put the number up on the screen. There's a number where you can text me, 763-219-5473. Any questions that you have about eternity that you think maybe uh, others might be interested in hearing about, and next weekend I will try to um, answer those questions. In the meantime, uh, today what I want to do is answer the question as best I can, what happens when we die? 
what happens when we die. First, a joke. Someone told it to me last week during one of those conversations. A woman approached the pearly gates and was greeted by St. Peter himself, who said, before you enter, uh, you must spell one word successfully. Okay, she said. Uh, she was hesitant. What, what, what word? And he said, any word you'd like. Uh, great, she said, I'll spell love. And she spelled it L-O-V-E. St. Peter's response, that is the correct answer. Go on in. But as soon as she's got, got in, he said, can, can you just stay here a moment because I need to ask you a, a favor. Will you watch the pearly gates for me while I run a quick errand? You know, she said, sure, but you know, you know, I'm a little bit nervous about that too. What, what, what do I do, for example, if someone comes to the pearly gates, somebody dies while, while you're gone? He, he said, well, just tell them what I told you to do. Tell them to spell a word. And then St. Peter was off. Well, she stood there for only what seemed like a moment when, to her surprise, her arch enemy, none other than her ex-husband, suddenly appears at the pearly gates. And, uh, she, I mean, she's very surprised. And she, and she, she says, what are you doing here? He, he, he says, well, he says, you're not going to believe this, but um, I died. And he said, I died in a car crash on the way back from your funeral. So, you know, do me a favor and let me in, lady. And she remembered uh, what St. Peter had passed on to her, and she passed it on to her ex-husband. And she said, well, sure, I will let you in, but in order to let you in, you have to spell a word. And uh, he said, okay, fine. What, what word? Her response, spell Czechoslovakia. I can't spell it. I, I, I spelled it so incorrectly when I was researching this joke um, that it wouldn't even show up in the Google search. <laughs> so a lot of what we believe, I mean, funny jokes like that even, as, as uh, Christians isn't necessarily biblical. And uh, some of our notions about heaven, which we get from the world and which we get from Hollywood and which we even get from Greek mythology, if you, you, you can believe that, some of our notions about heaven are not really helpful. Heaven too many times in our imaginations, as I said last week, seems to be vague, religious, and frankly, boring. But when we read the Bible, and here's what's exciting, heaven uh, isn't boring at all. Heaven doesn't describe it that way. Heaven describes a living, dynamic heaven on Earth. And that's important for two reasons. One, because the more biblically we, we, we think about heaven, and I'll, I'll get specific when I say the word biblically, the, the more physical we think about heaven, the more tangible it is in our minds, the more we will look forward to going there. Heaven is not vague, religious, or boring. It is real. It's dynamic. It is a place I want to go. And two, the, the more physical we imagine heaven today, the more we are willing as Christ followers to invite God into our physical universe today. Instead of dividing the world into two categories, which we are all prone to do, sort of the natural and supernatural world, we, we begin to see the world as one, so to speak, and we invite the Holy Spirit not just into the religious part of our lives, but into every part of our lives. And that's why we're talking about this subject today. That's 
why I'm asking that question, what happens when we die? Because it's important, we're all going to die. But what does happen? Well, two options, um, biblically speaking. Option one, when we die, according to option one, we end up in sort of a transitory place. It's not heaven on earth, which we talked about last week, but a temporary heaven where we await heaven on earth. Now, if you aren't here, let me remind you what I mean by heaven on earth. At the end of human history, right? History is headed toward an end point. At the end of human history, at the judgment of the living and the dead, God will remake the world. Heaven will reunite with earth. And we will be given new bodies. We will be physically raised from the dead and spend an eternity with God in what's called the new creation or what the book of Revelation calls the new Jerusalem. But according to option one, before that happens, so before the world ends, because obviously lots of people have died already, we go to a sort of temporary heaven where we await uh, the new heaven and the new earth. That's option number one. Option two, what happens when we die? Well, some say when we die, we simply sleep. And then at the end of human history, God raises us from the dead along with everyone else, followed by the judgment. And then a new heaven on earth is is ushered in. We talk about this in the Apostles' Creed, which is an ancient statement of belief. I mean, centuries old. And there's a little line in there where where we say he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Uh, We used to say when I was growing up, the quick and the dead. But after that judgment, uh, we are either consigned to hell, uh, which is another death or some kind of eternal separation from God. Revelation 20 says it's a place where people are tormented day and night forever. Or if we put our trust in Christ... Here's the good news. We are consigned to heaven. And again, it is not heaven in the clouds. It is heaven here on earth. So option one, um, we die and we go straight to be with the Lord. And there we wait for this new heaven and new earth. Option two, we die, we sleep, and we all wait together. And we all wake up in heaven together with new bodies as if no time has passed. It's like going on a car trip. Um, you fall asleep on the way, hopefully you're not driving, and you, <laughs> and you wake up, right, uh, as if no time has passed. Now, what's the good news with the second option? The good news is no one is in hell at the moment. Now, I like that. I'm sure you do too. Now, the Bible says, regrettably, people will be in hell, but they're not there yet. And, and by the way, just it, it doesn't go without saying Um, that if you are concerned about where you will spend eternity, there's a simple remedy, and the remedy is put your trust in Jesus. It's, it's, It's really that simple. And after you have put your trust in Jesus, tell everyone you know and tell everyone you love about Jesus because eternity matters. But what's the bad news with option two? You know, falling asleep and then waking up 
in the new heaven sometime in the future. I'm sure you've already figured it out. The bad news is, just as no one is in hell yet, which is good news, so no one is in heaven yet either. Now the dead are resting, right? That's why people put on, on tombstones, rest in peace. You see that at Halloween. Now the dead are asleep. They are awaiting the final resurrection. They are waiting for us, and we will all go into heaven together. Now, here's why there are two options, and here's why there are two different points of view, biblically speaking. The reason is Jesus seemed to say both. And that's why it gets confusing, and that's why there's a lot of disagreement, even in Christian circles, about what happens when we die. Now, before you draw a line in the sand too quickly, and before you think about this too hard, take a step back, because in both cases... All right? Option one or option two. Option one, we go to the Lord immediately. Or option two, after we die, we wait to go to be with the Lord. We end up with the Lord eventually. Okay? With both options. And we don't know the difference either way. Also keep in mind, in both cases, we end up back here on earth somehow if we're in Christ in what the Bible calls the new creation, or again, what the book of Revelation calls the, the new Jerusalem. In, in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, right? Adam and Eve are living in a garden. Well, in the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, that garden is now a city. Again, the new Jerusalem. So as I said last week, heaven, and this is what we imagine, heaven isn't about floating around in the clouds wearing a loincloth, right? Whew. You know, you know strumming our harps for endless eternity or only singing songs. Now, there will be singing in heaven. We see that in the book of Revelation. But heaven on earth is more like earth than we can possibly imagine. And so, so let me just pause for a moment. Be, before we get too far, let's talk about how we qualify for heaven again, okay? And if you've been in this church for any time, or any church, frankly, for that matter, I, I hope by now you realize um, it's not about what we do for God, it's not about how much we perform, how well we perform for God. I mean, don't get me wrong, we all do good things. Of course we do. But at the same time, even the good things we do are selfish. E even the good things we do inherently are, are mixed with impure motives. And, and that's why Christ followers, for example, and it's such a buzzword right now, but, but we reject the Eastern religious notion of karma. If you don't know what karma is, it's basically what goes around comes around. Sort of this heavenly bank account with a plus and minus system. As Christians, we reject the notion of karma because we know we're not in the black when it comes to our account with, with heaven. We know we're in the red. And we're too much in the red to do anything about it. We're bankrupt. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot earn our way into a relationship with God. We can only receive it. In, in a sense, only God can give us that re relationship. And the word we use to describe this gift from God, how God gifts us with relationship, 
is a word we use a lot around the church, which is the word grace. We can't get to God without it. I don't care how moral, you know, how legal, how much of a Girl Scout cookie buying, lawn mowing, you know, country loving citizen you may be, you cannot get to God without grace. Grace comes through Christ. It's undeserved, it's unmerited favor, and it doesn't come cheap. It comes at a cost. It requires the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And, 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 and we don't, so I mean, despite popular opinion and, and sort of popular spirituality, we do not have an inalienable right to be loved by God. We don't deserve to be loved by God, but for some reason, and only God knows why, for some reason, God has chosen to love us. In fact, it isn't even a choice. He does love us. We don't deserve it, but he loves us. Now, a lot of us say we understand that, but in many ways we don't. We either think we're going to not go to hell because we're such good people. I never know what people mean when they say that. I never know who they are comparing, with whom they are comparing themselves. Or we think we're going to go to heaven because of what Jesus did for us, sprinkled in with some of our accomplishments. We maybe don't say that, but that's, that's how we think. You know, I do good things, I help the poor, I help old ladies cross the street. You know, all of that. So it's Jesus plus good works equals heaven. But that is not biblical thinking. That is not Christianity. Ephesians 2 says, and this is the proof passage for it, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith simply means trust. And that's what I was just talking about. When we put our trust in Christ, when we put our faith in him, when, when we put our belief in what he did for us on the cross, we are saved. We are brought into a relationship with God. And, and Paul continues, he says, this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, verse 9, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay? So it's not Jesus, plus all the good things I do for people, equals a ticket to heaven. It's not that. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's a gift. That's why in the 16th century, when the church rediscovered grace, the monasteries in Europe, the convents in Europe where monks and nuns live, they cleared out. People had joined these convents, they had joined these monasteries to earn favor with God. Like, you know, I'll for sure get to go to heaven if I become a nun. I'll for sure get to go to heaven if I become a monk. And all of a sudden, they had this realization, it was always in the scriptures, but the church rediscovered this notion that we are saved by grace through faith. And they looked at one another, these nuns and the monks, and, and, and they asked the question, you mean God doesn't love me more if I'm a nun? God doesn't love me more if I'm a monk? He will love me just as much if I get married and have sex and have children? Then why am I spending, you know, the rest of my life in this 8 by 10 cell with you. you know? And so they fled the monasteries. They fled the convents. Verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In, in, in other words, don't put the cart before the horse. We don't do good works to earn God's favor. Now we love God, and we love our neighbor 
only in response to God's love. As First John puts it, we love God because he first loved us. So when we get to the judgment day and we're asked the question by God, why should my heaven come down to your earth? Why do you deserve to be here in heaven? Your answer will be as simple, I don't. The only reason I should be here is because of what Jesus did for me. That's why, and that's it. But still, what are the mechanics of heaven? Why and what happens when we die? Again, option one, we immediately go to the Lord. A couple of proof passages, maybe a couple of others in the Bible as well that support this line of thinking, but only a few. For example, this is the most popular. Jesus is hanging on the cross. There's a thief hanging next to him on another cross, and he looks over to him, and he says, Today you will be in paradise with me. We all love that verse. I love that verse. But here's what's tr tricky about that verse. As I read the Bible, Jesus himself, the person saying this, was not in paradise that day himself, was he? No, not, that's not how we understand it. Again, in the Apostles' Creed, we say he was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. Some churches say he descended into the dead. And then on the third day, he, he rose again. And then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. So 43 days after his crucifixion, Jesus arrives in paradise. So that's a little confusing, isn't it? I mean, why did Jesus say today, you will be in paradise with me to that thief? I'm sure he meant it. I'm sure it was true. Nevertheless, it's, it's kind of tricky. Another proof text, and this one's more convincing, comes from Paul, an earlier follower uh, of Jesus, a convert to Christianity. And he says in Philippians chapter 1, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So Paul seems to say, as I read this passage, as I read between the lines, there is some kind of temporary heaven. There is some place we go, uh, so to speak, when we die. At least that's how I read it. So we, we see in Philippians 1, and this supports option 1, that we go straight to be with the Lord, that there is this way that we immediately go to the Lord. Why else would Paul say to live as Christ and to die in his gain? Now, I find comfort in that. Um, I look forward to that. When I'm dying, uh, I suspect I'm going to want to go straight to be with Jesus. I'm not going to want to take a nap. You know, um, I, I, I'm not going to want to wait. Now, if I do take a nap, it won't make a difference. Because I wake up in heaven and it will be as if no time had passed. Now, I need to make a point of clarification here because some of you grew up Roman Catholic, and I love Roman Catholics. Uh, some of you know a local priest, uh, Father Paul, um, has been my prayer partner for years. I mean, I don't know, 10, 15 years. A tremendous man of faith and character. But from my point of view, um, for example, the notion of purgatory is not a biblical uh, notion. For those of you who didn't grow up in the church or you grew up Protestant, um, purgatory in the Roman Catholic faith is sort of a staging area before heaven. Um, you sort of go there and clean yourself up and do time and get ready um, for heaven. So it's Jesus plus time served in purgatory equals heaven. 
And I think that idea, to put it bluntly, diminishes the work of the cross. It diminishes what Jesus did for us. It says what, what Jesus did for us on the cross isn't quite enough. You know, we, we, we got to go to this sort of temporary purgatory and, and fix things a little, and then we can go to Jesus. But what Jesus did for us on the cross, the Bible's very clear on this, is more than enough. And so there's no place we have to go in between. So that's not what I mean when I am talking about a temporary heaven. I, I, I'm not talking about purgatory. No, I'm talking about some kind of impermanent existence when we die. Somehow we go to be um, in the presence of the Lord. But here's where we get it wrong. Most of us, when we picture heaven, so much of the time, we only picture that temporary heaven. And again, we get that from Greek mythology, not from the Bible. We only picture this sort of existence where we're floating around in the clouds. But nine times out of ten, really more than that, when Jesus talked about heaven, he did not talk about heaven up there. He talked about heaven down here. He talked about a physical resurrection. He talked about the new heaven and the new earth, again, at the end of the world. He talked about a physical resurrection, the restoration, the renewal of all things. For example, in John 6, 39, Jesus said, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those given me, but raise them up on the last day, meaning the last day of the world, the judgment day. Verse 40, the same chapter. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Floating around in the clouds with wings, you know, uh, uh, you know, oh, you know, God has another angel in heaven. The Bible doesn't say that. No. Here on earth, heaven on earth, I will raise them up on the last day. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and... Sensing a theme here, I will raise them up on the last day. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He's referencing communion and so much more in that passage. And I will raise them up on the last day. And then I want us to still look together at a really long passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it is a long passage, but I, to my point, when I say there are two options, uh, two things that may possibly happen to us when we die, Thessalonians um, speaks to that. Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, God gets very specific, uh, specific. Paul writes, and he's the same guy who said he would rather be with the Lord um, than live. Uh, Paul writes, verse 3, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. So I read that, and okay, maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't, but I read it, and I think, which is it, Paul? Is it option one, or is it option two? Because he talks about the dead being asleep. Okay, so are they sleeping? Uh, and then um, he says that the dead will come back with the Lord at the end of the world, so maybe they're alive. It's open to interpretation, I mean, generally, I, I try not to confuse you, and generally, I, I try to, like, land on something theologically, but you can believe both things, okay? You can believe that when you die, you go straight to be with the Lord, which most Christians believe, or you can believe that you take a nap, and you wake up in heaven um, at the end of the, at, at end of the world. You can believe both positions, support both positions biblically, and not be a false teacher, not be 
a heretic. Verse 15, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Okay, so maybe that does mean that people are with the Lord already, people who have died. Those uh, who are alive when Jesus returns, Paul says, they will not precede. They will not get to heaven before those who have already died get to heaven. So verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so that sounds like option two. You see, you have, well, that sounds like option one, that sounds like option two. It's, it's very confusing. We sleep and then we're raised. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Okay, so maybe there are some clouds in heaven, okay? <laughs> To, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. What's his whole point in this? Even though it's very confusing, he says, therefore, encourage one another in the Lord. With these words. That one passage alone is very confusing. It's no wonder that so many Christians, uh, and not just Christians for that matter, but so many people in the world are confused about what happens when we die. Long story short, the book of Revelation gets the final word. Whether we shoot straight up to heaven or whether we take a nap, at the end of the world, after the judgment of the living and the dead, heaven will come to earth and we will live on earth for eternity. And Revelation 21 tells us what that ultimate heaven will be like. And that's what we've done a poor job of focusing on as a church, even this church. And John, another follower of Jesus, gets a vision from Jesus. And here's what he writes. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So earth as we know it is gone. There's a new heaven, new earth, and there was no longer any sea. So we begin to ask the question, what's heaven going to be like? Well, there's no ocean in heaven, it seems, if we take this seriously. We say, well, that's a bummer. I love the ocean. I love the waves. And, you know, what about that, you know, that poem, Footprints? And... <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, in the first century, people feared the ocean. It wasn't a place of peace. It was a place of fear. It was a place that was unknown. It, it wasn't wonderful. It was scary. So think about it in that context. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. We're going to talk about marriage in heaven next week because the Bible does explicitly address that. But what do we see? There, we see there is a city in heaven. That's interesting. Then he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. So we see that God is at the center of this city. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is our favorite part of Revelation 21, and it's one of my favorites, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that beautiful? There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. And then God, John rather goes on, God does too, to specifically say even more so what heaven will look like. For example, he says there are mountains in heaven, or at least there's one mountain because the angel takes John up to a mountain. Like I said already, there's a city in heaven. Verse 11, it's shown with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. When I think about that, I think skyscrapers. There are 12 gates, we learn, in heaven. There are 12 foundations, and they're named after the Old Testament tribes. There are 12 tribes, and the Old Testament apostles, those early leaders in the church, 
named after those. Okay? Verse 16, the city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. John even gives dimensions as to the size of heaven, 12,000 stadia in length, or 1,400 miles. As wide and high as it is long, that's a big city, the walls of the city are 144 cubits thick, or 200 miles thick. And we already learned there's jasper, there's gold, there's sapphire, there's agate, there's every kind of precious stone you can imagine. Verse 21, the 12 gates were made of 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. So this is a physical place. This is not cloudy, you know, or partly cloudy. <laughs> it's, it's a Real physical place. Heaven has mountains. It has architecture, stunning architecture. And then verse 22, we see there is no temple. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that in Old Testament days, New Testament days too, the presence of God dwelled in the temple. You don't need a temple in heaven because God is everywhere. God is in everything. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or Jesus is its temple. City does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its lamp. So there may not be sun or a moon in heaven. We do learn from the book of Revelation there is no night in heaven. Sorry, night owls. What else? There's a river. It's crystal clear, no muddy Mississippi. There are fruit trees. So there's food in heaven, eating all the things we love. It's very specific. Again, maybe you're asking, why does this matter? It matters for two reasons, two applications. One, it matters, I think, because I said earlier, the more biblical, the more physical, the more concrete we imagine heaven, the more we'll look forward to going there. It's not vague, religious, or boring. It's not floating around in the clouds. It's a real place, as real as earth is today. It's not endless harp strumming or worship singing. It's a return to the original paradise in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, before sin enters the world. They live in this perfect garden. This garden now is a city. And it's a city in which God is at the center. So when we start thinking about heaven like that, here's what happens for me. Like I said, I look forward to going there. I've lost things in this world. You have lost things in this world, right? I'm not going to lose anything in heaven. Life is not life stinks and then you die. Life is not get the most out of it while you can. No, life is eternal. So the more physical we imagine heaven, the more I think, it's true for me, I want to go there. You'll want to go there. We'll think that's a place I want to go. God's given us imaginations for a reason, and he's given us permission, we see in the book of Revelation, to imagine heaven. And two, the more physical we imagine heaven, the more, this is really important, the more, I think, we will be willing to invite God into our physical universe today. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Too many times, as I said earlier, we divide the spiritual and the non-spiritual, the natural and the uh, supernatural. We, we talked about this in June. Changing diapers, 
And we say that's natural, right? It's natural as it comes. It's non-spiritual. You know, praying, singing in the church choir, ah, you know, that's spiritual. And that's what it means to, to worship God. But what we see, again, that's not a biblical notion. What we see in the New Testament and even the Old is that all of life is spiritual. All of life belongs to God, whether we're changing a diaper or singing in the church choir. If heaven is going to be a lot like earth with relationships and with buildings and with geography and with food, and if God is at the center of all that in heaven, then here's what can happen today. God can start being at the center of everything we do today. So when I'm in nature, I see God, right? People say, I mean, people, everybody sees God in nature, um, but not just in nature. When I'm in the city, I see God. I look at the beautiful buildings. I mean, who inspired the architects? Who inspired people's imaginations? The, the, the builders. God did. So God no longer gets confined to church. God no longer gets confined to prayer-related activities. Now, I'm all for prayer, and I'm all for going to church. In fact, you cannot be a Christian and not go to church. I mean, Jesus established the church. You know, that's what it means to be a Christ follower, is you are a part of a local church. But God isn't confined to church. No, God is everywhere. He is to be worshipped in everything that is good. We don't worship the good things, but we worship God in the good things from the ordinary to the extraordinary, which means my life is not my own. My life is God's. All of it is God's. My house is God. My yard is God's. My view is God's. My family is God's. My job is God's. My money is God's. My food is God's. My sexuality is God's. My diet is God's. All of it under him. And also, everything I love about this world, everything that's good and true is a gift from God, and I won't be without it in heaven, not most of it. We'll talk about what's not in heaven next week. But for the most part, anything I love, I'll just have more of in heaven, and it won't be separated from God like we separate things today. But God will be at the center of all of it. And most of all, I'll have Jesus. And that makes me excited to go there. I look forward to going to a place where I will not lack anything. I want to go to that place where God is at the center of it all. And I don't have to wait until I die. North American Christians are so good at escapism. Like, oh, you know, let's just get out of here. Right? And we're, we're increasingly, we're withdrawing from every part of society. But we don't have to escape. You know, we can start practicing today. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience God at the center of everything in our lives. So that's what heaven will be like. How did we get there? We put our trust in Christ and what he did for us on the cross. We don't put our trust in ourselves. We put our trust in him. What's it going to be like when we get there? Well, it'll be a lot like earth, only better only perfect. And what happens in the meantime? Well, in the past, I would have said we fall asleep and we wait for the resurrection of the last day. The Bible leans strongly that way more than it does the other. But that being said, I am not as sure as I used to be. I'm not as sure. 
Maybe it's because I'm getting older. I've now reached the half point of my life, maybe more. So death is approaching. But the longer I live, the more I consider Jesus' words, today you will be in paradise with me. And that's where I'm leaning these days. That's where I'm leaning as of now. That's what I think happens when we die. We go to some sort of paradise with Jesus, whatever that is, wherever that is. And together, we await heaven on earth, where we're given back our physical bodies and a physical earth. If you're still confused, we posted a video on Facebook this week, which really helps explain some of the concepts we've talked about today. You can check it out at Northgate's Facebook page. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of a new heaven and a new earth. We thank you that you are preparing a place for us. We thank you for the earthiness of heaven. We, we thank you how you will be at the center of it all. Thank you for Jesus and what he did for us. Thank you for how he made a way for us to be in relationship with you, despite our flaws, despite our attitudes, just despite all the things that separate us from you. He made a way. Help us then to reimagine heaven. Help us to imagine heaven biblically, better than we have in the past. Help us to imagine what life might be like with you at the center, an earthly life, and then to start practicing today. At the center of everything. We can't do it on our own. We need your Holy Spirit in spades, so come Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, next week we're going to talk about marriage in heaven. We're going to talk about pets. We're going to talk about whether our loved ones can see us from heaven. Some of the questions I've been getting. Invite a friend. Uh, I think you'll be glad you did. Make use of our prayer team today. They will be right up here. <clears throat> when we pray for another, the Bible says heaven breaks through. The kingdom of God breaks through. So that new reality that we'll have one day breaks through. When somebody is healed, that's a preview of what heaven will be like. So God maybe wants to heal some of you today. God maybe wants to set some of us free today. God wants heaven to break through for some of us, and that will only happen when people pray for you. So I encourage you, make, make use of that. Please stand for God's blessing. Jesus loves you. I love you. You can open your hands. It's a posture of receiving. And now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. I love you. Turn around, say hi to someone. I'll be outside those doors. All right, thanks for watching. Want to let you know about two things you can do. First, follow us on Vimeo or iTunes so you don't miss a single message. Better yet, join us in person Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11. And second, if you're feeling this ministry and want to help advance the mission of helping people become who God purposed them to be, you can click the link to give. Your generosity brings hope, healing, and radical transformation to people all over the world. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.